Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Daniel Casimir. So, time to hit some bass notes. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to episode 5 of series 3 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at forward slash jazzwatford or drop us an email at watfordjazzlive at gmail.com. And thanks to everyone who's tuning in to listen and telling us such nice things. Uh, And if you're a first time listener, well, woohoo, you're most welcome. So today I am joined by a bass player, composer and producer who's more in demand in the UK than Lou Roll was in 2020 or wanting the pubs to reopen right now. It's Daniel Casimir. Hi, Dan. How are you? Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm not too sure if I'm more in demand than the Luro in in 2020. Um, But yeah, thanks so much. (laughs) Hey, don't undersell yourself. So whereabouts in the world are you hanging out? Um, I'm based in West London. Um, I live in Hayes, which um, I live about 10 minutes away from Heathrow, which is useful unless I'm going to Gatwick. So yeah. Yeah, I know it well. My brother used to live that way. You've got the uh, Grand Union Canal passes through, right? Yeah, yeah, which was great to um to visit during during our, our lockdown walks when we were allowed, obviously. Nice. Well, at the point you invest in a barge, you can sail up to Watford. I'm I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you been keeping out of trouble? Have you been learning a new language? I've mastered Turkish. Not. Have you been uh, up to anything exciting? Or has it all just been music central? Um, it's been mainly like music and family. Um, I think in 2020, I was scheduled to tour quite a bit with, with a variety of different artists. And then like many musicians, um, everything got cancelled. Um, so I was able to spend a lot of time with, with my daughter and my son. My daughter at the time was just turned one. So it's been a magical time to actually just be around and yeah, spend quality time with the family. Yeah. Are they all, un- are they, are they all, are they both under school age or did you have the joys of home tutoring as well? Yeah, no, my son is six. Um, right. And um, well, he's seven now, but he was six at the time. So yeah, we, we've had um, the the joys of um, homeschooling. Um, <laughs> well, it's been emotional. One- yeah, it's yeah, it certainly has from one dad to another. The, um, glad they're back now in some shape or form. Um, so one, one of the things I sort of tend to ask people is sort of how, how did you get into jazz in the first place? I'd love to know a bit more about your journey. I mean, I can't believe you picked up a double bass when you were six. What, what happened? <laughs> um, so I, I first started out on electric bass um, yeah. and playing a lot of like classic Motown records with um, my main influence at the time and still now is a bassist called James Jameson. And, yeah. you know, he, he was also a jazz musician too and was checking out his influences. Then I later got on to people like Jacob Pistorius, Marcus Miller, Victor Wooten. And then when I went to Birmingham Conservatoire at 2008, I then switched to Upright, I think primarily due to prayer pressure. Um, I really wanted to do it as well, but I think they, they wanted the sound of the Upright supporting them so I I took up upright in 2008 and yeah I graduated Birmingham Conservatoire in 2012 and just been trying to be a professional musician ever since yeah well, you're doing a pretty good job of it so I'm, I'm I'm interested in the um relationship that you then have between the electric bass and the stand-up um do you 
does your heart sort of beat to the other or it's like actually this is a means to an end it, it depends what sound is or would you rather be on one or the other I think I think the most frustrating feeling is when you're playing one and you really feel like the other one sh- it would do a better job that's nice. yeah it's that's that's the most frustrating feeling but um I I I enjoy playing both equally and yeah it's it's mainly what the music um requires um yeah. I I would definitely feel like an affinity to at, at that present time so i'm a, I'm a trad player by um sort of youth or something um and i'm always i'm really interested in like theon cross and and his tuba playing and whatnot have you ever sort of dabbled or thought you know actually it would be great to have that in the arsenal as well or are you definitely a man of strings uh yeah i I I yeah, tube is is not for me. Um, <laughs> I I massively or, admire or for your or for your neighbours. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, oh, it would just take me so much work, and I I, yeah. I I remember meeting Theon at tomorrow's Warriors and just seeing the amount of work that he put he has put in into tuba. Um, hats off to him. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's that's not for me. Yeah, but you know, of course, you've um, you've got uh, a unique sound as well. I'd say now, is that something that you you feel is sort of evolving ever more, or do you think actually I've nailed pretty much the sound I want, and now it's a case of you know expressing more and writing more and, and playing with others, or is this a more like a journey for you where who knows how it will develop? Yeah, I definitely see it as a a journey, um, and I think if I ever kind of notice like me settling into a pattern of things I think I would I would naturally want to go against it being unnecessarily rebellious um so yeah, yeah it's, it's definitely a journey I I definitely want to you know keep keep on growing musically the um and you mentioned you're in West London which is of course uh, some people won't know this but jazz refreshed are, are based in West London aren't they for their weekly jam uh, is that something you sort of joined early on and, I, and you've obviously referenced tomorrow's warriors as well just be lo- lovely to have a little bit of a sort of reflection on on both of those scenes and how they work for you yeah so uh with with tomorrow's warriors um my old bass teacher uh mark mark hodson he yeah he recommended me to to pop down to tomorrow's warriors and I I went down to their session down at the South Bank in a room they called the Violet Room down there. And, you know, I popped in and then get Gary Crosby gave me like a little like interviews like so he brought me to like this little separate room, almost like a room leading into a room. So like <laughs> a glorified corridor as it was. It's like, cool, play me your blues and I was like, cool, um, I did that. I think. I think I passed the test. Um, yeah, you and... know he only does that for bass players. He, he, if you were a horn player, there'd have, there'd have been no special Gary meeting. He just yeah. needed to check you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was great, and that was that was my first like in- introduction to Tomorrow's Wars, where I met a lot of the people who who are my friends now, and I've had the chance to play the guys from Ezra. Nabaya and Moses. So yeah, I met them all through primarily through Tomorrow's Warriors. And with Jazz Refreshed, I think the first time I played down at Mau Mau was with with a sax player called Camilla George. 
Woo-hoo. We love Camilla. She uh, she she launched this series a few episodes back. So yeah, she said only good things about you, Dan. Uh, I I I definitely have to just double check on that. Um, it doesn't <laughs> sound like Camilla. Um, but yeah, I <laughs> I met Camilla. Um, oh damn, I met I actually met Camilla in West London. But yeah, uh, it, with Jazz refreshed, um, we were doing a, a Mau Mau's nights um, promoting her new EP. And at the end of the night, the the promoter, um, Adam, Adam Rocker, he, mm. he was like, so when, when you like releasing a music, when, you, when you're releasing an album? And I was like, um, soon, soon. Like I was, I kind of just moved back from going back from being in Birmingham. When I actually did put a record together, he was the first one I sent it to, obviously, because he was the first one who asked. And yeah, that relationship's been going ever since. Yeah, well, the rest is history, so to speak. So was that the escapee or was there something else before that? Because that was 2017? Yeah, that was the escapee. Yeah, which, uh, for anyone that doesn't know it, glorious. Is it uh, five, six tracks? It's, it's more of an EP, right? Yeah, it's an EP, five tracks. Yeah, five tracks. It's it's fantastic. It really sets out your stool. But it does perfectly for what I think then happened with your follow-up album these days. It sort of sets the sets the scene and the direction. And then when you, it's not that you hit the ground running more these days. There's obviously more music because it's a full album. But the relationships that you've established musically really start to blossom. I mean, to my ear. I mean, but uh, we should probably hear from you. How you, how how was the journey between those two uh, strong musical statements? Yeah, it was it was definitely like a a progression. Um... I remember doing Escapee. We had we had one day to do it. Um, what? And that's yeah, a one was, day out um, EP. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was super stressful. Not gonna lie. Um, so I was like, <laughs> <laughs> with, with this album, I I think I think with these days we we spent three days doing it. All right. <laughs> I mean, that's still pretty tight. Yeah, yeah. It was it was it was pretty tight. But then I think. I had a lot of more confidence doing the album. I did a lot more production stuff with it, um, like after the recording. So, hmm. yeah, it was it was definitely like a progression in in writing and and production skills. Yeah, I think we'll come back to writing and composition. But actually, since you've touched on it, um, I was very keen to ensure I said producer at the top of the show because uh, I picked up a, a tweet from um, Emma Jean. Uh, Thackeray, who was just saying, it's frustrating when people don't reference you as a producer because that's a key part of the process. And if you're doing it yourself, you want the not necessarily the recognition, but to note that that's part of it. For you, the production part, did you find yourself becoming a producer or did you just say, I'm the only person that can can do this because I know what I'm trying to do? I kind of stumbled across it. I, it was like, to me, you write the music and you know how you want want it to sound. And I guess like, you know the music the most and so you're able to explore different avenues especially like um through technology and electronics afterwards so yeah producing for me was more of an extension of the creative process rather than a separate entity as such yeah and then the composition um part of it you i mean i mean it'd be interesting to know i mean how do you compose do you wait for the for the band to be together and then develop stuff or do you have a pretty clear idea up front and going you know this is what we're laying out and this is the tune i've written uh yeah i tend to go into the rehearsal session and to the band with with material pretty much sorted out um from start to finish yeah. and i i guess 
especially with with these days and, and my upcoming record, like I knew who I was getting on it and I know the kind of sort of ways that they like to play. So I guess like I try to set out the vehicle with for yeah. the composition and just allow their personalities to come through. Yeah. So so we've uh, sort of brokered uh, or moved into the territory of the new. Um, so Safe uh, Part One is available right now, and wow, I mean it's another I wouldn't say huge evolution, but a, a big sort of step forward into something new. So it's a much more orchestral led piece, and it starts with glorious sort of string setting, um, and then you get it sounds almost like a whole big band is on the go. But uh, I'm sure it's not quite that many musicians. Probably clever production, but you've just got this deft, glorious tune or motif running through it and it's just really exciting and and everything about that you know just seems to make sense especially if you have listened to the previous uh, uh two records um so who's involved in it what's the what's the what what's coming next that an album where i think we're looking to release the album around october november time with another little release around the summer at the moment we're looking around july very good and yeah so safe like the rest of the album when it comes out that features 16 musicians so we've got a jazz quintet a string quartet a four-piece brass section and a three-piece woodwind wow and yeah it was i was a different person towards the end of, <laughs> end of putting that together <laughs> but yeah I'm, I'm really proud of it yeah, I mean, you should be. I mean, that's a completely different thing. And again, it was something I was talking with Camilla about, but also others. When you're leading as well as playing and composing and thinking, you've got your production hat on, there's a lot of plates spinning. Keeping that many people on track for, for three days or eight days or whatever the process is of pre-rehearsal and then recording, it's a lot of stress on you. Do you do you find a, a buzz off it, or do you just go, oh gosh, I just need to get this done? And there's there's a bigger picture here, but wow, this is this is heavy work. I I find that I get a lot of tunnel vision of like when I have something to do. So leading up to it, I was able to juggle like writing and performing. But then I think a couple of months before it, I was like, fine, I need to. My sole focus was on the album and making sure that the writing and the parts were were together. I did think afterwards, though, the album has, if I'm correct, has nine tunes on it. Right. I think I would have spread out the recording process because we did it over six days. Right. We did, like, the the quintet over, like, days one to three. Then we did a day of strings, a day of brass, and a day of woodwind. And I think it was, to me, it was a lot of music to have in my head and to know definitely how I want it to sound like at a concentrated time so i think if i was to do it again i would like to spread over the the recording process and and what can we expect from the album is there an underrunning narrative to it is there uh, a hodgepodge of different things that have expressed different feelings at different times what was the sort of general vibe not to give too much away obviously so it with with the writing of this i tried to i tried to delve in a little bit of of like the classical music process so um safe part one has a has a part two and the part three and then we have two other tunes that are 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 linked musically as well as well as through the title so i try to have an idea and try to stretch it out throughout throughout the album yeah i mean i noticed that with um these days that you've got that repetitive idea so you have interlude parts one two and three right and it brings in this fantastic uh, poetry 
um, which somehow links all the bits and it's not necessarily obvious uh, but it's like ah, oh, I see and it, it, it sort of gives a split was that the sort of idea with Safe as well that it sort of gives these moments throughout the album like a wayfinder yeah I, I, I wanted and I tried to make the album have a concept throughout not only through titles but through through the music as well yeah rather than a collection of, of random tunes which you know is is fine but I, I do like the challenge of trying to have an idea and finding different ways of expressing it, but yet still try and make it sound interesting still. And then the sort of the type of music that we're going to find on there with with the previous album. I mean, you might say, well, it's not quite it's not quite like that, Chris, but it, find, it feels to me that <laughs> the 12 songs end up on Uncle James, which is this really expressive ballad. And, it, and it's just a moment of beauty and it seems really poignant and the right way to leave off. In terms of, you know, what, what, what's coming up, have you got more ballads in there? Is this a very sort of high tempo, high intensity sort of thing? Um, I, I don't know. Um, I've, got, I've got one that, that leans on the sides of, of a ballad. Yeah. I don't know. I think there are a couple of like dancey numbers if, if you're that way inclined. <laughs> that way inclined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm that way inclined, but my wife would say different. <laughs> yeah, don't, you you overestimate the Watford Jazz Junction podcast audience. The uh, I, I don't know how many uh, how many members of the Dance Massive we have on on this podcast, but let's assume there are a few dancers. Yeah, like, yeah, but 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 broadly, yeah, there's there's a good mix. Yeah, definitely. I a couple of tunes for the head and a couple of tunes for the feet. I would say nice. Oh, I like that. That's that's not a bad name for an album. <laughs> the um, <laughs> um, the relationship that you have with your individual musicians. So, have you carried on the relationship with Tess Hurst? Is there Joe Armand Jones? Is there still Moses? It'd be interesting to know who you're you're still working with on the album. Yeah. So, as part of the quintet of the album, we have Moses on drums. Nabai is playing tenor saxophone. James Copus is on trumpet, and Al Sweens on keys. Right. Okay. They're, they're all friends. Like they're all like they're all people that I I would hang out with, and yeah, it's yeah, it was it's just a blast. I as glorious, you know. If you can find something you can do with your mates and share in it, it's just the best, right? Because you you're all getting each other. There's a whole load of back stuff that doesn't need to be explained. You can just get on with the project in hand. Um. So I want to know about working with both uh, Mackay McRaven and Moses Boyd. I mean, obviously, a who's the better drummer? <laughs> no, but, but listening, listening to you play with both of them, it's obviously clear that you love working with a polyrhythmic drummer in that sense. Does it change your game, or do you think you're just well matched? Yeah, I don't like. They're just different personalities, and. Play, and playing with different drummers like Micaiah, Moses and, and Sam, Sam Jones. Yeah. They bring out a certain element of your personality and then you draw upon different influences of your own upbringing and your own like musicality as such. Yeah. I mean, I'd actually quite like to, to unpack whatever you fancy, but your own upbringing. So music aside, the influences that, that ran through, you know, the Casimir household when you were a sort of youngster, did that sort of impress any sort of values on you? Did that make you think, hold on, this is what I've got to do or not do? Well, I'm just always really interested in, you know, because it's that stuff that ultimately feeds into the music that you, you express as an adult. Yeah, definitely on on reflection, like my mum is not too musical, actually. So growing up, it was just me and my mum and she she is tone deaf, I reckon, 
She's yeah, she's absolutely tone deaf. She's not tone deaf. She's just being really nice, so she doesn't have to ever criticise what she what she hears when you play the albums to her. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't know, darling. It's very good. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But um, <laughs> gr- growing up, she took she, like she took me to like a lot of dance halls and like reggae nights events. And I feel like now I'm starting to really appreciate it. There's kind of like an underlying understanding of that music because it's the music that I've grown up with. So you've referenced sort of Motown and Dancehall and, and a whole range of different stuff. I mean, jazz jazz aside, what, what what do you tend to listen to yourself? Is there is there a still a big broad mix? Yeah, definitely. Like I listen to a, a, a real large mix. Might be some classic like Art Blakey albums, or I really love this Gerald Clayton's um, live at the is that the Blue Note or was it live at Smalls? But his new album anyway, um, is is incredible. And then I like the vocalist uh, Moses Summoney. And so yeah, it's it's just a really broad mix now. So you re- you reference there uh, Smalls and the Blue Note, and we could reference a hundred other fantastic clubs in new york the um what, what do you think is the relationship between um london and new york at the minute in terms of comparing the jazz scenes i think i think maybe now that they're, they're both just lean, leaning on their their own traditions maybe i think i think london now is more embracing its multiculturalness um of it all so like you might hear tunes with with Afrobeat and with reggae influences behind them, which which obviously stems from the Caribbean, but at the same time, it's it also feels very London with with like the Notting Hill Carnival. And I used to I used to play steel drums, so like the Panorama used to happen every year. So it's kind of embedded with with the London culture yeah. as what. Well. But and New York, you know, it's it's the birthplace of jazz, like. You know, you can go to clubs and be like, yeah, Charlie Parker played here, Thelonious Monk played here. So, yeah, they both have their own traditions and I feel like they're, they're leaning on them in, in, the, in their own way. Right. It's time for your set question, Daniel Casimir. <laughs> your set question is <laughs> bass players, party makers or party goers? Discuss. <laughs> um, goers? Goers? party goes how much do you feel the host or how how much do you feel like you're actually at the party um i feel like you know musically speaking i feel like the bass has has such an important role in terms of not only like providing the fundamentals of the harmony and the rhythm but it also can provide like the identity of 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 the tune um Mm. I think of like Cedar Walton's like Bolivia, like that baseline at the beginning is, is is like a classic, you know, and you start playing it and people know what it is. So I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe we give the type of party it is. So look, the time the time is here, Dan, for the for the for the really important question. Your top three albums. What what what's on the turntable? Uh, I would I would have to be lazy and say a couple of them would be like Wayne Shorter albums. Um, yeah. So I, I absolutely love um, Soothsayer. That's, that's got to be there. It's okay. We've locked in Soothsayer. I would also say Wayne Shorter's Juju as well. Also, like, I, I also want to just mention um, this new um, Pino Palladino album called um, Notes with Attachments. That's like, I think it came out last week. And yeah, it's incredible. So that's that's what I'm listening to at the moment. So. Hey, that's awesome. And I don't think anyone's given us anything quite that fresh. 
you're listening to it and going, you know, this definitely deserves a reference. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah, check it out. It's great. It's really cool. I'm going to do it straight after this. So listen, I'm going to introduce you as well to our house band. So it used to be a septet, uh, but various musicians have made it into an octet now because they're clearly wanting to bankrupt the Watford Jazz Junction. So these are the members of our band. So we've got Vi Red on sax. We've got Mark Nightingale on trombone and Dizzy Gillespie on trumpet. And we've got Duke Ellington on piano, John Patatucci and Brian Blade on bass and drums, which will please you. And then we've got Leanne Carroll on vocals. And we've also been recently joined by Shirley Tete on guitar. <laughs> but my gift, as always, to my wonderful guests is to let you edit the band. And they're all really lovely. They know that they can come and go. So it's not like they're being axed, but it's the opportunity for someone else to share their gift. So who would you like to change in the band, Dan? The choice is oh, yours. No. I don't know how you could do this to I me. I mean, you obviously can't change. You can't change Shirley because she'll come and get you, right? Yeah, she knows where I live. So, <laughs> but you know, but you you can you you can change others. Maybe do something to the front line because no one no one's changed the front line in ages. So we've got Vi Red, Mark Nightingale, and Dizzy Gillespie. Like, how are you going to get rid of Dizzy Gillespie? Like, it's I, tricky, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, do you know what? I'm I'm going to do the Duke Ellington thing and not fire anybody. I think. <gasps> are you going to add I, someone? Yeah, let's add people. We could have, like, maybe I would add Christian McBride. I would do, like, oh, actually, yeah, I would definitely add Christian McBride. I saw, I was at the Umbria Jazz Festival, I think, in 2018. And they, both John Padatuzzi and Christian McBride, they did, like, a a double bass duo. Um, like, a gig, a solid, like, 45 minutes of just both of them just playing. And, yeah, I lost my mind. It was just, like... There's John Padatuzzi and Christian McBride playing at the same time, so so we know it works. So yeah, let's let's, let's double let's... up on the bass. Hey, you, do you know what? I'm going to let you definitely do that. A as a, a bass player, but B for introducing a whole new element there. And C, we all think Christian McBride's lovely, so he gets he gets all the ticks. Um, so this is fantastic. So the band is now a nonet, uh, yeah. and we'll see what happens in future um, episodes. So, moreover, Dan, um, we're looking forward to then hearing the album. Do you have a name for it yet? Yeah, it is called Boxed In. Boxed In. And that's going to be out. You might get a pre-taster in early summer, uh, but certainly look out for that as an album release in October, November in the UK on uh, Jazz Refreshed. Um, We can't wait to hear it and hopefully hear some of it live. Do you remember those days when you actually played somewhere? Two people? Yes, yes so long ago so long ago <laughs> yeah back in the day so listen if you've liked what you've listened to make sure you subscribe to the what for jazz junction podcast so you don't miss any valuable episodes if you want to know more about us check out our website at whatforjazzjunction.com or follow us on twitter or facebook um next time wish me well as i'm still working out how to synchronize gmt or british summertime with south australia time as i'm going to be in conversation with trumpet legend james morrison as always, don't forget to keep your ears fresh and always look to connect with something new. But for now, it's goodbye to you, dear listener, and it's goodbye to the wonderful Dan. Yeah, that was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. And take it easy. Bye. Bye. Bye.